You're listening to episode 248 of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. If you love to keep up with the newest in Ruby and Rails news, then Ruby Weekly Newsletter is a must. Today, I'm excited to chat with the man behind the newsletter, Peter Cooper. Peter has quite a bit of experience in Ruby, but in other developer communities as well, such as JavaScript and Go. From across the pond, welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, how's it going? It's wonderful to have you. Um, I'd love to kick off the show by asking you what your developer origin story is. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say congratulations for taking over the, this podcast. I think that's absolutely awesome. Um, I've been on it once before, and I've probably told a very similar story, actually, to what I'm going to tell now, but it was many, many years ago, so uh, things will have developed a little bit since then. Um, so I've pretty much been programming since I can remember, really. Um that doesn't mean I'm an amazing programmer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm definitely uh, very average in that department, but uh, I've been programming a very long time, and it was just something I kind of did as a kid. I had a, you know, my dad was really into sort of the microcomputers of the '80s, uh, pretty much from the British perspective, though. So we had like ZX Spectrums and we had BBC Micro and these sort of machines that weren't sort of very popular in the US. Uh, so my dad was always playing with those, and I kind of, you know latched onto that and saw what you could do with them and there was that whole you know turn on and you see a prompt and it's you have to just start typing and see what happens Absolutely. type experience yeah uh, i know a lot of people especially you know people of uh, sort of my age 30s and upwards will have uh, had that sort of experience with a computer back then and it's very formative it's very different now to you know with my own kids sort of seeing them on an ipad or whatever and you know it's already got everything on there youtube and whatnot and it's not the same type of experience. So I started from that, reading through books and really like just learning to program also helped me learn about so many other things. It learned, you know, learn about mathematics, learn about reading and just all these different things and, you know, how sound waves work. Like when you, when you wanted to play a tune, you know, you'd have to put in like 440 like hertz or whatever and like how do you know that's I, for example. And So you, you kind of got to learn all these cool things at the same time as you were learning to program essentially. And that's kind of where I come from. So, you know, of course that wasn't for profit or for work or anything like that. I was just a kid, but I kind of kept it up as a hobby. Uh, as I grew older, we got into PCs. I picked up C. Um, I then kind of moved to Pascal, which was a little bit weird, but uh, Turbo Pascal from Borland was a very popular kind of environment to develop on in the mid nineties, especially if you were in uh, involved with like the demo scene or creating like graphic related demos and that's you know something that seemed very oh, cool to me yeah i took it's... pascal in high school and i i always look back on it with some fond memories so I, i'm definitely following you yeah absolutely um so yeah it was it was a really kind of cool language to play with and especially because at the time it was one of the few languages that made it really easy to write um assembly language within your normal code so you could write your pascal code but then you could write um your x86 kind of stuff to uh, do stuff like v-syncing and messing around with the graphics buffers and things like that. all these kind of cool like tricks that you needed to do to have fast graphics on what by today's standards was oh, pathetic hardware really <laughs> um so again you know just for fun not anything professional or anything like that and it's funny actually like it never crossed my mind to be a professional software developer at all um which is funny actually because my dad ended up doing that a little bit um he never really took it as a a very long-term job but he kind of dabbled with it and had some you know minor success with it but he was more into electronics and stuff like that and so he kind of 
you know, focused on that route. But yeah, I guess I didn't. I wasn't. It wasn't like today, like where you can see Silicon Valley, and I think maybe from the British perspective, it's a bit different because we didn't have anything really like that. We had this kind of microcomputer scene in the '80s, but kind of in the '90s, the tech scene wasn't really in the same kind of thing as America. We, I didn't sort of see any people that were professional developers and kind of have an idea of that world, so it never really occurred to me. So my kind of plan was actually to become a lawyer. Um, and I kind oh, of how went interesting. Through, yeah, so you know, again, totally random, really. Um, pretty much just because I was good at arguing with people, that kind of people are like, oh, you should be, a, you should be a lawyer. You'd be good at this. Um, in retrospect, I'm very glad I didn't become a lawyer because uh, I think I would have had a very miserable life. But uh, yeah, so I kind of went through school and you know, kind of went towards this track of sort of doing something in that that vein. And this kind of coincided with the whole web thing taking off, and because I was dabbling with that and building my own websites and things. Uh, people kind of took an interest and they're like hang on you could like build websites for us and I moved down that track of you know building websites for people and I got employed um, doing that type of thing um, my first two full-time jobs were you know working on uh, web development and stuff like that and I guess at that point it just kind of occurred to me like oh actually you know there is kind of a a, a progression a way that you can turn programming into money uh, I know it sounds weird now that everyone's diving into this industry to make uh, money whether they're you know super keen on it or not but back then it just wasn't very obvious to me um you know it was a much bigger thing especially in the uk at the time uh, you know if you were going to make the big money you had to be uh, kind of a you know a microsoft whatever it's called like a verified professional type thing and you know be building massive systems and stuff like that which wasn't i've never been interested in it ever and i'm still not interested in it at all um but i really love programming so I kind of uh, went, went through this process of you know building various websites and things, and uh, I was very heavily into Perl. I did Perl for about eight years, and that's what led me to Ruby. So I was going through Slashdot one day in about 2004, and I saw a thing about this whole Ruby on Rails thing, and I thought, well, what's this? This sounds a bit, bit of a novelty, a bit of a fad. Mm-hmm. Uh, read through and kind of still thought the same thing. Um, and I thought, hang on, but there's some cool ideas in this. Like, I really like the idea you can create an app really, really quickly with this thing that people were calling rails and i took a look at it i took a look at, at one of the screencasts i think that was one of the first things that grabbed my attention um and i think one of the things that dhh and some of the other people that have done the screencasts have really got right uh, it's for people like me at least who like looking at videos not everyone does but people mm-hmm. who do it's a way of you know bringing us into the fold and so i watched that and i was like yes yeah, it's kind of cool ruby looks really cool but i've done pearl for eight years i've find it really hard to change languages so let's see if i can rewrite this in pearl like for myself i tried doing this made the absolute mess of it um and kind of gave up very very quickly and was like oh like i've got this project that someone wants me to build it i think it was a photo gallery um and it was just a small job not not a big thing at all a couple of thousand dollars that type of level of job Mm -hmm. and i was like well People are saying this is like the next big thing. Like I can build something really quickly. Let's see what I can do. So there wasn't like there wasn't anything like Michael Hartle's Rails tutorial or anything like that at the time. It was really just you go on an IRC channel and DHH is hanging around and uh, you know there's um, there was a, the wiki actually was a really big thing for Ruby on Rails at the time. It doesn't exist anymore, but um, it was something like wiki dot or whatever, and people could just go on and edit pages about different things and. The documentation we have now is obviously a lot better, but at the time it was what we had. And so I worked through that and figured stuff out and watched his screencast a few times and copied some of what he did. 
Um, and I, th- I thought, I'm not learning Ruby. I'm just kind of, I'm writing Rails. Like, I'm not even thinking about Ruby as a language. Um, I'm just going to kind of sort of do this sort of pigeon slash parrot fashion, cobble it together. And within sort of the first 24 hours of, you know, doing that, I had the app built that I needed that did, you know, the photos and the uploading and this, that, the other. I even built my own tagging library because there was no tagging libraries for Ruby at the time. So I built my own uh, thing um, and it just worked. And I was like, wow, that was like the easiest couple of thousand dollars I've just made. Um, you know, when I, if I'd built that in Perl using the absolutely terrible things that I was doing in Perl at the time, it would have taken me you know, a few weeks to do and it would have been an absolute mess to maintain. Um, so I was sold. That's that's literally how I got to Ruby. And I'm not going to go too much into my story from there on just because this is about my origin story. But, you know, I've kind of come just through a very homebrew way, I guess I would put it, and kind of stumbled into things. Like, it's not been deliberate. I've not thought I want to be a professional developer. I've just kind of had people in my life to say, oh, hang on, you know, I can program a computer. Like, just give it a go and do this thing for me. And I'm just like, okay. Um, and I stumbled my way to Ruby and I've kind of stayed there ever since. That's amazing. I mean, I'm a huge fan of learning new ne- new technologies by putting skin in the game. So in your case, you had jobs that you were hired for. You had a goal that you needed to reach. You know, someone was waiting for that end result and that probably expedited how fast you learned the programming yeah. language. So that is amazing. Now, one thing that you mentioned to me is that you ran the Ruby Inside blog for six years. Can you tell us more about that? I did. So another thing that kind of occurred to me um, very late in kind of high school is that I had a teacher who responded to some homework I did that was a like a fake kind of newspaper we had to produce. And they were like, wow, this is really good. Like you seem to like, you know, really have a good feel for like publishing and you know, like just kind of what it entails to like create a publication of some kind of sort. And, and it kind of, a few dots kind of came together because I actually created the first uh, school newspaper at my middle school. Um, and it's just something I'd always done. Like I'd always written stuff about what I was doing and uh, I wasn't like super into diaries, but when the internet came along, I kind of kept this like online diary. It was like an, an early blog, but before the word blog even existed. And I've kind of always just into getting information like, just sharing what I've got and writing it down because otherwise I just forget it. It just disappears with me. Um, And it was just a habit I had. So I did a little bit of freelance writing. Again, it's something I dabbled with. People were like, well, hang on, you write a lot. Like, can you write this, that and the other? And I was like, sure, let's give it a go. Um, As is the case with nearly everything I do. It seems to be, I just stumble into it because people see (laughs) me doing it as a hobby and they're like, oh, do this for money. And I'm like, yeah, I like money. Let's do that. Um, (laughs) So... I was used to this and I was used to blogging and just putting my thoughts out there. So I had uh, a publishing company, A-Press, they are still around, um, and they got in touch with me, or one of their sort of acquisition editors did, and he's like, oh, I've seen your blogging uh, and you've mentioned about this Rails app you've built and Ruby and stuff. And like, could you write a book about Rails? Um, sort of like an introductory book about Rails because it seems to be taking off. And I said, hmm, like, I'd kind of got into Ruby as a language at that point. And I was like, well, actually, I feel more comfortable if I wrote a book about kind of learning Ruby. And I kind of use this as an excuse to me to learn Ruby and kind of write a book at the same time as I was learning the language. Um, this is a common thing with authors. That is um, a common theme with yeah. you. <laughs> you I probably, find a goal well, and then yeah, stick pro- to it. But I probably shouldn't share the fact that like a lot of authors do that. Like they're like, oh, yeah, I can write a book about X. And they're like, right, okay, now how do I do X? Um, and then they kind I of, think a lot of conference speakers do the same thing. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, so I never knew all of this. This is all stuff I've learned just from being like in my 30s and talking to other people now. But 
um, I kind of stumbled into it as well. Um, so I wrote this book, um, Beginning Ruby. It got published 2007, and we've had a f- uh, three different editions, and it's gone really well. Um, and so to promote that book, I was like, well, what do I know what works to promote a book? Produce a blog. Um, and that's where the blog called Ruby Inside came from. And uh, an interesting kind of factoid about that blog is the name Ruby Inside came from Jeffrey Grossenbach, who was a previous host of this very podcast, um, at least if I understand it correctly, because I know that this podcast has gone through slightly different ownership over the years. And mm-hmm. I believe he ran like the very, very first kind of incarnation of it. Um, and he was talking about um, Intel Inside, which was a kind of this catchphrase that Intel had back in the 90s. Um, and he was talking to someone at Intel and he was saying, oh, you know, kind of at Intel, like you're almost like Ruby inside because they're using Ruby within Intel at the time. Um, I can't even remember what the story was. I might have to look it up. But uh, he kind of came up with this little quip about Ruby inside. So I just stole the name from him. I was like, he's like, yeah, cool, go for it. Um, produced this blog, just did news every single like week um, or even every day. I can't remember how often I posted, quite often, um, about things that were happening in the Ruby world, the Rails world. Um, and up it went and because there wasn't really many people doing that type of thing um it just really took off um you know we grew over the course of sort of six years to being you know over thirty thousand rss subscribers through like google reader and stuff when that was a big deal um and you know people were sponsoring it i was making like sort of a few thousand dollars in the end by just putting you know links to new relic and stuff up in the sidebar banner ads and this that and the other just the typical way that you'd run a blog essentially perhaps even now like you would do things like that um and it just worked uh, and that's the story of ruby inside there's not actually that much kind of anything particularly interesting about it as such it just kind of happened it just came together and fell into place i find that so interesting though because you know we talked about your background and it doesn't sound like you have a formal background in marketing but it seems like a common theme is that you're you seem to be scrappy where you know you want to publish this book you want to get it into people's hands you know what's the best way to get it into people's minds like in you know this fairly, you know, fairly early with online advertising and you just really figured out how to get those organic searches so that you could really direct things towards that published book. So I just think that is really cool and it's given you a unique perspective within the developer community because I really feel that you've grown alongside that community. Um, It's very cool. And so speaking of that unique position that you have in the the Ruby community, um, as you noted, you've been in it for quite some time, which is incredible. And we're really grateful that you continue to stick with us. Um, How have you seen the Ruby community evolve? Oh, wow. It's gone through so many different kind of incarnations over the years, hasn't it? Um, I think one thing that I didn't agree with really early on, um, but that I've kind of begun to agree with was um there's a guy called james Britt who i think he still does run a site called ruby-doc.org or something along those lines and he kind of maintained the ruby documents and he was always kind of very gung-ho about the fact that uh there was no such thing as a ruby community like it's lots of different groups of people it's lots of different communities and i kind of wasn't really on board with that initially and now i kind of see that is actually the case you know there's so many different communities out there and they've all evolved in very different ways there are the people that are just stuck entirely with rails and they've just been rails 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 like all the time and you know they've not they've kind of got involved with ruby but it's not been like ruby not been very interesting to them outside of just building web apps you know they've not built anything with tk or they've not built anything with shoes or they've not built anything that like even with sinatra necessarily like they've not played with these things they are rails developers um but then on 
you know, there's other communities like, uh, especially in like Japan, where they barely even touch rails or even not even familiar with rails really, other than as a name. Like they're using it for building. Um, and one of the things I heard there's uh, there's a nuclear power station in. Uh, somewhere in Japan that uses Ruby and a TK-powered kind of interface for some of its control systems and stuff. It's like the mind just boggles. Um, but there are whole groups of people and developers that are oriented around that and they meet up and they have, you know, meetings and a whole community that's around that and they're not involved with us. And I think that's just something I've come to realise over the years. And this is also now true of the JavaScript community. You know, we're not talking about JavaScript, but like that's another example where there's people that are really, really heavily into TypeScript and they don't interact with people that are necessarily really heavily into like working with other things like Flow or something like that. We've kind of got these very different silos of people that kind of occasionally connect, but they don't kind of see themselves as being in the same space. Um, and this is very true of Ruby as well. Um, you know, I was involved with a few different sort of kind of small communities early on in the um, sort of Rails era. Um, one of them was called Caboose, which... I think is one of the more interesting ones that was around. Um, it had people in it like uh, Amy Hoy um, mm. would be a good example. It She's had, awesome. Yeah, it had um, Chris Wonstroff in it. Um, DHH used to kind of dip in and out. Um, the uh, Toby um, who runs um, Shopify. Uh, and it's actually quite, I wouldn't say depressing, but it's all, it's kind of weird looking back at that community. It's like I said to Amy actually a few weeks ago, because we're still kind of friends on Twitter and that, I said... I think if you took the net worth of everyone that was in that channel on IRC, um, like, we would be, like, miles below the mean average of net worth in that channel. Like, there are billionaires, like, that were in that channel, and they built things with Rails that have now got them to that point. Um, it's absolutely amazing. And so that was an example of a community that perhaps a lot of people that are listening wouldn't have been familiar with but it was very much a community and people lent on each other and talked to each other and shared stuff and helped build up some of what rails is all about in that kind of very small space um so yeah i guess just talking about a community just doesn't resonate with me anymore it's really a lot of different groups of people and um you know like i've, I've been working on ruby weekly and uh, and stuff but i wouldn't even i, I would say like from doing that I've realised there's always different groups of people and I kind of have to cater to all of them to some extent or another I have people that email me saying oh you put too much rail stuff in or people that say oh you don't put enough rail stuff in and there's so many different competing interests that I'm just trying to keep a track of all the different communities rather than saying there is a particular one because I just don't think there is I completely agree and so since you mentioned Ruby, Ruby Weekly, and I mentioned at the top of the show, I'd really like to start digging into that. So how did Ruby Weekly start? And I'd love to hear the pitch for subscribing to it. Should our listeners be interested in learning all that is Ruby Weekly? Well, the very basic pitch is rubyweekly.com. You go there, you put your email address in, you click subscribe, then you click confirm on the email that you get because we have to do double opt-in. And you get a weekly email that kind of has summaries and information about what's going on in Ruby, Rails, and again, all these different communities, uh, essentially. And it's just kind of a, a just stay on top of things. Like, I wouldn't even say you have to read it every single week. Just like, when it comes in, if you're interested, look at it, and you'll see that, oh, such and such has been released, or, oh, there's a security problem with some other thing. Um, oh, there's this new library that does X, Y, and Z thing. Uh, it's really just that type of guide. Um, now, some people are very happy using things like Reddit for that, uh, or following a certain, you know, you know, prolific kind of Ruby developers or whatever on Twitter, and that's perfectly 
legitimate. Um, what you know, we do exactly the same thing. We use all of these different places as sources as well as uh, you know people that submit stuff to us kind of personally. Um, but what we do is we kind of boil it down to what we think is important and write summaries about those things. So that's the thing that you don't get on Reddit and often on Twitter and so on. Like we digest it and are like, oh, hang on, this kind of ties to this other thing that happened a few weeks ago or perhaps, you know, we might even say something isn't quite the right approach but we'll still link to it. We'll say, oh, this person's had this opinion but this other person's had this other opinion and we'll kind of tie these stories together. Um, So we're trying to provide a little bit more curation on top of those um, fire hose of links that you can get from elsewhere. Um, and to, you know, some extent or another, we succeed reasonably well at doing that. Um, some people like it, some people don't, but um, we're doing quite well. I can't even remember how many subscribers we've got now. I actually looked up this up. Um, we've got 43,000 um, subscribers on Ruby Weekly as of right now. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's it's done better than, you know, the blog did. Um, and actually, you know, you mentioned about the origin of this. Like, I didn't mention that. Um, the reason I did it was because... I just was speaking to some people and I was looking at Hacker News at the time um, back in about 2010 and seeing that email was really kind of taking off again as a way of communicating with people. Um, Like there were things like Groupon, for example, you know, that were, you know, you'd get this daily deal in your inbox. Mm -hmm. And that was actually kind of a novelty at the time. Like even though email had been around 20, 30 years, people were like, oh, this is cool. I can get this deal in my email every day. Um, this is much cooler than going to a website every day and looking up stuff. Like, I get an email to me. And so I was kind of just getting these vibes that, yeah, people are going to want to get their their news delivered over email a lot more in future. Um, and there were already players in that space. Like, you know, you, you kind of your groups like CNN and people like that had email newsletters, but they looked really dated and they were kind of not very good. Um, but I could kind of see this renaissance beginning to build up and... You know, if there's one thing that scares me into action, it's kind of thinking that someone else is going to do what you're thinking of doing. And I kind of had this inclination, like kind of this indication that someone else was thinking about doing a similar thing. So I was like, right, let's just do this. Let's launch an email newsletter about Ruby. I've already got the audience. Um, let's just go, bam. Um, and there we were. Um, I promoted it on the Ruby Inside blog. Uh, we got about 2,000 subscribers over the course of the first week. So that was enough for me to think, oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. Um, I didn't have any idea about commercializing it or anything like that. Um, I was doing online training at the time, so I thought, you know, what push comes to shove, I'll just keep promoting that in there somewhere um, and I'll fill up my classes. Great, fantastic. Um, And that actually worked fine. Um, Ran it for, you know, months and months and it was all just working out well. I had people come out of the woodwork um, sort of saying, oh, you know, we want to promote our thing in there. And I was like, well, I can't keep promoting my training courses all the time because I just haven't got enough like time or capacity to do it mm-hmm. uh let's include some ads <clears throat> you give me some money and we'll run the ad and that turned into a business and you know all these contacts that um I've built up and I say I like we now like there's six of us doing this oh that's um, wow you're six people you know. now <clears throat> well it's funny actually we were at 10 at one point um but we've kind of realized like where the efficiencies um can occur like and so we've kind of scaled down but we've kind of become more efficient all of us so um there are six of us full time and then we have a few different external curators that work on a freelance basis um so yeah i mean you know obviously you're familiar with ruby weekly and people listening to this probably are as well but we also have javascript weekly we have um, a database weekly we have uh, a react newsletter we have what about the go programming language we've got about different 
uh, like 11, 12 different ones now. Um, we even do some sort of in collaboration with other companies. So we did um, a database one with Rackspace for a year and then we made it more generic and took it over ourselves. And we've, we're doing a MongoDB one with MongoDB right now. Uh, so we kind of work on projects for other people as well. But we kind of got this whole family of newsletters, essentially. And if you know you sign up to any one of them, you'll gradually learn about the others over time. We're not sort of really big on cross-promotion, but um, we do sort of mention them every now and then. Well, so, I wanted to share a yeah. personal story uh, from Review Weekly. Uh, I used to be a boot camp instructor and was working on a issue with the VCR gem with a student, you know, we spent time on it, we got to a solution, really proud of it. And so I encouraged her to blog about it. Because, you know, we hadn't found any documentation online in order to solve this issue. And so she sat down with her programming blog, wrote out what happened, the solution and whatnot. And I reached out to you and I was like, hey, Peter, like, I think this might be useful to other people. And you were incredibly kind in your response back and you included it in the newsletter the following week. And she ended up getting 5,000 views on that blog entry, which was incredibly cool for her because she was able to use that as a confidence booster as she was going out to apply for jobs. And it really validated that she was able to talk in these technical terms. And so I've really enjoyed the variety that I get from Ruby Weekly. I feel that a lot of top news is on there, but also you'll often bring up projects that have already been in existence as almost like a reminder that they still exist. So I'd love to touch on um, what you decide is newsworthy, because as you mentioned, you do have people that send you requests and it sounds like you're getting a lot of, of like a barrage of information from a lot of different sources. So I'm interested in how you choose the content for each week. It's funny because I often complain like in two different directions at the same time. I complain that it's just too much uh, stuff to go through sometimes and then other times I'm sort of complaining that there's just nothing out there and we're really struggling to put together the issue you know for a particular week um, there really is a feast and famine kind of hmm. thing going on um, and sometimes that's why you'll see things get resurfaced uh, like you know I'll see that there's been a, a release of something that's you know several years old even but the fact they've done a release and it now supports Rails 5.2 or whatever um, I think is actually noteworthy because it's like well hang on this thing that is old actually is alive and still exists which is kind of unusual for ruby libraries i found like a lot of them do die off quite quickly that things we link to unfortunately um but yeah so like you know sometimes when we have those famine weeks you'll see things resurface just because we're having to dig that deep um but some weeks you know we are kind of inundated with stuff and we have like you know major headlines and you know all oh, this big release has occurred and this big drama thing has happened or whatever um really you know i just look at it from a from a perspective as if I was reading the newsletter and what I'd want to know about, and also just mm -hmm. from a publisher perspective as well, which isn't always a perspective that everyone kind of can empathize with because, you know, they, they just don't think in a newsy kind of way. But I have had exposure to that world. I, I do tend to think in a very newsy way about things. So, I, you know, we'll have uh, a story that is like an obvious lead for the newsletter and then something else will come in and we're at, you know we're bumping that story down or we're bumping it into next week and you know we kind of we do think about it in actually quite a newsy way um you know it's not quite as glamorous as you know dealing with um, the latest like you know political dramas or whatever but there is still that kind of element to it a newsroomy kind of feel sometimes when we're debating what goes in and what doesn't uh at the end of the day you know i'm i have people that help me with this but at the end of the day i actually kind of try to be as responsible as possible for every link that goes in uh, there are occasional duds that have slipped through unfortunately just because of well that's just what happens 
Um, mm-hmm. But broadly speaking, I look at each thing and I think, does this have any kind of relevance to, like, is a small part of our audience going to be strongly interested in this or is kind of everyone broadly going to be interested in this? And if it kind of fits either of those things, then it stands a good chance of getting in. Whereas if it's something that is only kind of like vaguely interesting to a very small group of people, then it's probably not going to go in. Like, uh, you know, if it's like some thing about, I don't know, checking identification numbers in Uruguay or something like it's something like this really kind of niche and very local, um, I'm going to think, well, you know, right, we've got like 200 subscribers in Uruguay. Like, they're going to really care about this, but the rest of the 40,000 are not. So it's probably not going to make it in um, unless it's an absolutely, like, dead week. Um, so I kind of look at this, not just popularity, but, you know, I think this is one of the things I've got from living in the UK, actually. Like, we have the BBC, who are well-known around the world for being kind of the... They're not the, exactly the state broadcaster of the UK, but they are in a similar-ish kind of role. They, they're independent, but they try to cater for all the different types of people that live in the UK. And like the BBC, I kind of have this idea in mind of who these different communities are in the Ruby world and what do they care about? You know, what does uh, the Japanese person only working on GUI apps care about? What does the person in Silicon Valley who's only writing Rails app care about? And then I try and keep them in mind. So... I, if if a week is really strong with just Rails news, I'm thinking, oh, hang on, like, not everyone's into Rails. Like, what are the Ruby people just who care about Ruby and they don't care about Rails at all? What would they want to see in this issue as well? So I'm always trying to get this balance of the demographics um, correct. And I don't just mean, like, in a diversity sense, um, although, you know, we do take that into account as well, but more in terms of, like, the, the topical kind of diversity and are we catering to all these different, sort of audiences essentially um and that's just what i've had i've kept in mind and you know the more i talk about it with people and the more i've tried to find ex- external curators and work with them i've just found it's perhaps like part of the secret sauce in the way that i work because i found it a little bit hard to get people to understand how that works they always think about it just from their perspective they don't always think about things from like a publishing perspective of defining an audience and having audience personas and things of that kind of nature and catering to those and that's something that I tend to do so that's not very useful necessarily advice if for anyone that's listening that wants to get something into the newsletter like they probably want more concrete advice like oh write something about x y or z but I can't actually give you that advice but all I could say is that there is a real lack of um, really good blog posts about almost anything nowadays and part of that is because I think a lot of people have stopped blogging uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent as Twitter and things yeah it's a lot easier just to throw out overflow a... yeah. exactly yeah you can throw out a hot take on Twitter and say oh yeah this is a great library here's the link like it's easier to do that and say all right I worked with this I had this problem with it I fixed this bug uh, I... here's a demo of something that I've built like that doesn't happen a lot so if you can write pretty you know reasonably coherent technically correct uh, tutorials about things that maybe you've been learning and you write them up as you go along and oh i learned this and i had this problem and you know i fixed it by, by doing this and that then that actually stands a reasonably good chance of making it in and i think that is actually the, the sort of thing that you were referring to at the start um that someone in i think you were teaching or sort of wrote something of that nature and i can't remember the exact article but it was of that kind of essence like i did this i learned this and here's how you can repeat this amazing thing for yourself um you know there's 
yeah, there's so little of that. Um, and actually, you know, if something's written very earnestly, very, you know, truthfully, and, you know, it's not completely technically inaccurate, um, and people are honest about, actually about their skills. So I don't mind people who are like absolute beginners writing things as long as they say somewhere in there, like, look, I'm a beginner, I've just learned this, and this is the thing that I've learned. That's fine. Um, the thing that I think annoys both me and readers, if this sort of stuff gets out, is when someone who's just begun is like, oh, I've just learned about, I don't know, partials, let's say, in Rails. I'm going to write an article that's called um, The Absolute Most Amazing Guide to Everything About Partials. Um, and they've literally just learned it like 10 minutes ago. They've written a few code examples in and then they've posted it up on Medium. Like, that's not going to go down very well because people are going to be like, well, hang on, like, you've just begun working with this and it's lacking this, there's no depth, and, you know, you've, you've written it for the wrong version of Rails. It's like a Rails 4-isms, you've not put Rails 5 stuff in, and you kind of end up with all these problems. Um, so I think if you are going to write stuff, just don't pretend to be more qualified than you are, and people are actually really happy with that. Um, and yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, no, if, so if people want to write stuff that's really deep, then, you know, if it's good and technically correct, that's almost a guaranteed inclusion. Like, that's, I mean, obviously, it takes a lot more skill and talent to, to pull off that type of thing. But, yes, if you're willing to dig deep into something or even just tell the story of a bug that you ran into, like, that's some of the mo most interesting stories we've had where someone did something weird with Rails and it's like, oh, this broke, but why? And then they dug into it and filed an error report and explained what the problem was. Those are really popular um, but that said, you know, if someone does want to deal with more surface level stuff, um, you know, someone that comes to mind actually um, that you may be familiar with and perhaps some listeners is uh, Julia Evans, who, um, you know, she's a massive inspiration to so many people in our space at the moment. And I think a lot of it comes from her earnest, like she's very earnest about what she works with, but she also admits where she's weak and where she's strong. Um and so she'll be like, oh, you know, I've just made this cartoon about something that I'm learning about and it might be wrong and it might be right, but here's kind of my idea and I'm throwing it out into the world and like kind of see what you think about it. Um, and I really love that approach to doing things. Um, you know, she often does document as she learns um, and her zines, you know, are very, very popular. And I know some of them have come from that type of exploration. She's like, oh, I've written this to actually kind of help me learn this thing better. Um, and... I think anyone that is a beginner and really wants to get a feel for how to write stuff that is kind of earnest and sounds genuine and, you know, can come from that beginner mentality, even though she's obviously extremely clever and extremely experienced. But if you're moving into something that's new to you, like a new tool or a new command line utility or a new Ruby gem or whatever, you can be very inspired by what she does because the way she approaches it is just absolutely amazing from my point of view. <laughs> Um, so probably the best way is just go to Twitter and search for Peter C um, or just, I think mean, it's twitter.com slash Peter C nowadays, P-E-T-E-R-C. Um, and that's pretty much the easiest way, unless you want to go to Ruby Weekly and subscribe to that. You know, if there's anything interesting Ruby related, it will go into that. Um, but yeah, if you want my more general thoughts on the world, 
um, which you probably don't, but so uh, you can find those on Twitter. That's the best place to go. 